Well, good evening to everyone listening out there tonight. I hope you enjoyed the last two broadcasts where I discussed the topic of the Trinity, Oneness Theology, and Biblical Unitarianism. You can go back and listen again to both of these broadcasts, if you'd like, by going to ministersnewcovenant.org and clicking on the sermon section of the website. These shows are sermons number 375 and 377 in the sermon list. I would like to continue to talk about some further aspects of this teaching tonight, centering in on a few points I've yet to really delve into in this radio series. You know, I once had a Bible teacher preach about ten sermons that were pretty much directed towards me because I do not believe that Yeshua is Yahweh. And let me say this for anyone that is listening for the first time tonight. I do not believe in either Trinitarian or Oneness theology. I do not believe that the Son of God is really the Almighty God. I do not believe that Yeshua is Yahweh. I do not believe that Yahweh wrapped himself in a robe of flesh. And I do not believe that Yahweh is the Messiah. I believe that Yeshua is Yahweh's only begotten Son. Now, let me get back to this ten-part sermon series that was pretty much aimed at me. I've listened twice to the series. It's a rebuttal to those who don't believe Yeshua is Yahweh. And it is an effort by this particular preacher to persuade others to believe that the Son is somehow really the Father. And can you believe that in 10 hours approximately of teaching about Yeshua by this preacher, that the text of Matthew 16, 13 through 18 was never taught on? Not only was it not taught on, it wasn't even mentioned. How in the world can you teach for approximately 10 hours on this particular subject and not deal with the very texts where Yeshua asks his own disciples, Who am I? Think about it. What better text than the text where Yeshua himself is asking his disciples who he is? As I've mentioned more than once now, one of Yeshua's disciples, Simon Peter, received the correct answer to Yeshua's question. The Father in heaven revealed it to Peter. And what was Peter's answer? He told Yeshua, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Notice that Peter's answer was not, you are the living God. No. Peter's answer was, you are the son of the living God. And when you argue with Peter's answer, you are arguing with the Father in heaven. Because the Father in heaven is the one who revealed this to Peter. So let me ask you, if Yeshua the Messiah stood in front of you today and asked you, who do you say that I am? What would your answer be? I've asked this question to several people over the past seven years or so. I had a rather lengthy discussion one time with a Trinitarian gentleman. And when our discussion was over, I asked him, Well, what would you say if Yeshua was here right now and asked you, Who do you say that I am? The Trinitarian looked at me and he kind of sighed and he said, Well, Matthew, I would tell him, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And I'm thankful that he answered this way because according to Matthew 16, 13 through 18, it's the only way to answer the question. One fellow I asked it to said he would look at Yeshua and say this, You are Yahweh in the form of a man. Now, why in the world would you want to answer Yeshua's question like that? Why would you want to say something differently than Peter, who got his answer directly from the Heavenly Father? It baffles me that people do not love the Scriptures enough to submit to the plainest teachings found in the Scriptures. And I really don't think it could be any plainer than Matthew 16, 13-18. Yeshua really is the Messiah, the man whom Yahweh anointed. He really is the Son of the living God. Have you ever thought about a portion of Peter's first sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? Remember with me back to Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, where Yeshua gave his apostles strict instructions to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. The promise he was talking about was that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from then. And baptized with the Holy Spirit they were, for in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit came upon them so strongly that they began speaking in languages that they had never learned. It was so supernatural and miraculous that some people mocked what was going on, and other people accused them of being drunk with new wine. But Peter told these mockers, that he and the other apostles were not drunk. It was too early in the morning for that. But instead, a portion of prophecy from the prophet Joel was taking place. And in Acts 2, 16-21, Peter quotes from Joel's prophecy, ending his quotation with Joel 2:32, where Scripture states that everyone who calls upon the name of Yahweh will be delivered. Now, after this, Peter continues by saying this in Acts 2.22. He says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Yeshua of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Now, Peter begins by telling the Israelite men about Yeshua of Nazareth, the lowly, humble man from the one light town of Nazareth. Peter says that Yeshua was a man approved of God. Did you catch that? Peter was not preaching to these Israelite men that Yeshua was God. Peter wasn't telling them that Yeshua was Almighty Yahweh. He said Yeshua was a man that was approved of God. See, God approved of this man from Nazareth named Yeshua. Peter knew that God approved of this man because he goes on to say that God did miracles, wonders, and signs by him in their midst. Notice carefully that Peter said that God did the miracles, but God performed these miracles by or through Yeshua of Nazareth. Peter goes on to explain in verse 23 
that Yeshua was delivered up by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of Yahweh. Peter recognized that what took place with Yeshua being delivered into the hands of sinful men was in the plan of Yahweh. It was according to Yahweh's counsel and predestined plan. These men of Israel took this man and by wicked hands they crucified him. Then in Acts 2 verse 24, Peter proclaims that God raised this man from the dead. Now you've got to see this here. Yeshua really died. Yahweh had to raise him from the dead. Now to my knowledge, there are approximately 18 places in the New Testament that state that Yahweh raised Yeshua from the dead. And in each one of these, it is so crystal clear that they cannot be one and the same being. Yahweh the Father raised Yeshua the Son from the dead. And I could go on and on here, but let me just mention Peter's words in Acts 2 verse 36. And then we'll move on. Peter says in this verse, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Yeshua whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So, Peter is still speaking to the men of Israel. He began addressing back in verse 22. And he tells them they need to be assured of the fact that God, Yahweh, hath made Yeshua both Lord and Christ. Notice that God had to make Yeshua Lord. God had to make Yeshua the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Had God not made Yeshua both Lord and Christ, He wouldn't be Lord in Christ. Right here in Peter's wonderful sermon on the day of Pentecost, we find nothing, absolutely nothing in his teaching that tells the men of Israel that they need to believe that Yeshua is really Yahweh. Nothing. Nothing about Yahweh wrapping himself in a robe of flesh. Nothing about God coming down out of heaven and taking on the form of a man. None of this is even insinuated by Peter in his salvation message. Rather, Peter tells the men of Israel that they rejected Yeshua, but God had appointed this man. God did miracles through this man. God raised this man from death. And God made this man both Lord or Master as well as Messiah. Peter's entire message focuses on Yeshua as the man from Nazareth whom Yahweh appointed and anointed. Yahweh exalted Yeshua because Yeshua humbled himself. Preachers need to take heed to Peter's sermon. And they need to begin to preach the same Yeshua that Peter preached to the men of Israel. Peter didn't speak of the Son as a robe of flesh or another form of Yahweh. Peter didn't speak of Yeshua as the second person of the Trinity, co-equal, co-eternal, co-immortal with the Father. Peter didn't say anything about God dying for their sins in the form of a man. But yet you hear so many preachers today who will tell you that unless you believe that Yeshua is Yahweh, you can't be saved. They will tell you that you must believe in the Trinity, or either in the oneness theology, to be saved. Peter must not have gotten the memo, brothers and sisters. Let me go back to that ten-part sermon series that I mentioned earlier that was preached against me a few years back. One of the points that was brought up 
is that people who do not believe that Yeshua is Yahweh believe that some things are impossible with Yahweh. This gentleman preacher said that I'm the type of fellow that believes God cannot instead of God can. He made this statement because I believe things like, one, a son cannot be his own father. Or two, the immortal God cannot die. And I stand behind those two statements. Thus, this preacher referred to me as a God cannot believer. I've heard statements like this before, usually in quotation of Luke one thirty-seven, where the angel Gabriel says, For with God nothing shall be impossible. What people making this statement are trying to prove is that Yahweh and Yeshua can be one and the same being, even though in our minds it's not fathomable, or we might say possible. Sometimes people just step back and tell me, Matthew, it's a mystery. You might ask me, do you believe in Luke one thirty-seven? Why, sure I do. I actually taught on this text not long ago at the local congregation I attend. I believe the statement made by the angel Gabriel with all my heart. But at the same time, I believe that some things are impossible for God to do. Uh, let me explain. We mustn't isolate a text like Luke one thirty-seven, acting as though there are no other texts in Scripture that we need to harmonize this one with. The context of Luke one thirty-seven is speaking of miracles. Yahweh had just opened up the womb of a barren elderly woman in Luke 1, 5-25. And then he caused a virgin woman to conceive without being intimate with a man in Luke 1, 26-38. In this context, the angel Gabriel is explaining to Miriam that miracles do happen. Yahweh can cause the supernatural to take place. What this does not mean, though, is that there are no impossibilities with God in the broadest sense of the term impossible. There are some things that are impossible for God to do. Now, why do I say this? Well, it's because of texts like Hebrews 6.18, which says, It is impossible for God to lie. See, lying is something you and I can do, but it is something Yahweh cannot do. Yahweh cannot lie. It is impossible. This doesn't contradict Luke one thirty-seven because the contexts are different in each passage. Does the fact that Yahweh cannot lie make him less God? Of course not. If anything, it adds to his supremacy. It adds to his uniqueness. Him not being able to lie is part of what makes him who he is. It doesn't bring him down in any way. This impossibility exalts him to an even higher degree. There is something else that is impossible for Yahweh to do. And this relates back to our subject of why the Father and the Son are not the same being. Did you know that it is impossible for Yahweh to die? Yahweh cannot die. In 1 Timothy 1.17, Paul writes that Yahweh is eternal and immortal. The word immortal is taken from the Greek word Optharthos, which carries the meaning of undecaying or not corruptible. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 16, Paul writes about Father Yahweh, that he alone has immortality. This word immortality here is taken from the Greek word athanasia, meaning deathlessness or not able to die. So Yahweh is the only being who is by nature unable to die. Death cannot come near Yahweh. 
it is impossible for him to die. This is an absolute proof that Yahweh cannot be Yeshua because Yeshua died and Yahweh cannot die. Now this should be very simple to understand, but the many ideologies of men make it very complicated. Some common responses I've heard from people is that part of Yahweh died or the flesh died or he died in his humanity but not in his deity. And what all of these responses have in common is one thing. They all try to make Yahweh die in some way. When the entire time the scriptures still teach that Yahweh is immortal. You can go on and on for hundreds of years making such arguments. But in the end the scriptures will still teach that Yahweh is the immortal God. It's much easier to believe the scriptures. Yahweh is immortal. But Yeshua died. Thus Yeshua cannot be Yahweh. It's not difficult if you just submit to the teaching of Scripture. See, spirit beings are not able to die. A being that begins existence in immortality cannot become mortal. Now the other way around can and does happen. Mortals can put on immortality. Yeshua, a mortal man, put on immortality at his resurrection. And so you could not kill Yeshua right now if you wanted to. There is no possibility of him dying now that he has put on immortality. Prior to his glorification, though, he was subject to death. And die he did for a span of three days, after which he was resurrected to life by the Father to immortality. All those that are in Messiah Yeshua, those placing faith in him, will put on immortality in the future. They will inherit an incorruptible, glorified body as Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 15. But a being that is immortal cannot become mortal. Why? Well, if such happened, then it would prove that this being was never immortal to begin with. Because immortal means not able to die. If someone dies, then they were not ever immortal. Look at Luke 20, 34-36 for a moment. Here we have Yeshua teaching. He says this, the children of this world marry and are given in marriage. But they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, neither can they die any more. For they are equal unto the angels and are children of God, being the children of the resurrection. Notice that Yeshua speaks of people who are counted as worthy to obtain the world or age that is coming. He says that these people obtain the resurrection of the dead and they cannot die anymore because they are now equal to the angels. What is Yeshua telling us here? Well, he is equating those of us in humanity that inherit the world to come as being like the angels in our existence. One aspect of being like the angels is that we will not be able to die anymore, just like the angels are not able to die. See, the angels were created immortal. We were not. We were created mortal. But some of us, those of us in Messiah, will one day inherit immortality or deathlessness. It will be impossible for us to die. 
It is at this point that we become a spiritual being with a glorified, incorruptible body. And Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians 15, 42-44. He writes, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. And there is a spiritual body. See, right now as I'm talking to you, I am in my natural body. But at the resurrection of the righteous, I will, by the grace of Yahweh, obtain a spiritual body. A body that is not subject to death. A body that has no possibility of dying. The angels already have that body. They were created with it. And Yahweh himself has always had this type of existence. He didn't have to be created with it. He has always been a spiritual being. Therefore, just like the angels he created, he, Yahweh, is immortal. He cannot die. This indicates that Yeshua could not have been a spirit being before his human existence. Else, he would not be able to die. Now, if you try to argue that he could have been Yahweh prior to his human existence, or even a high-ranking spirit being, and then take on another form and die, then what you do is you completely destroy the meaning of the word immortal. You basically make it have no meaning at all. You overthrow very basic linguistic principles, and in doing so, you really make biblical hermeneutics and the semantic domain of words nonsensical. If you say that Yahweh, the immortal God, can die, then you would have to also say that the angels could die. And that even after believers inherit their spiritual body, they too have the possibility of dying. This is all just one giant attempt to bypass the clear teaching of Scripture that Yahweh cannot die because he truly has immortality. What we should do is submit to this teaching and believe that Yahweh is the Father, the Creator, the One God, and that Yeshua is our Messiah, the Son of the Living God. We must believe that Yahweh is the eternal, immortal God who cannot die. But Yeshua is the Messiah, the man who was approved by God, who can die and did die for the sins of those who put their faith in Him. Did you notice in Matthew 16, 13-18, a text I cited earlier, that Peter says Yeshua is the Son of the living God? Why use the adjective living Peter is emphasizing Yahweh's eternal, immortal existence in that term. Yahweh is called the living God because He alone is the only being who by nature possesses immortality. The angels had to be created this way by Yahweh. We inherit it if we obtain the resurrection of the righteous. But no one gave this status to Yahweh. He's always had it. He has no beginning and He has never had an end. Yahweh didn't die, brothers and sisters. His son, Yeshua, died. I have a dear friend of mine whose wife was talking with another woman that I believe attends an Episcopalian church. As my friend's wife was explaining to this woman about the Son of God, she also explained to the woman that Yahweh cannot die. The woman responded, You mean to tell me that you don't believe God died for you? And my friend's wife responded, No, sister. God didn't die for me. His son died for me. 
Don't you see this, brothers and sisters? Don't you see how almost the entire world has bypassed one of the most simple yet important doctrines in all of sacred scripture? Eternal life depends upon believing in the only true God, Yahweh the Father. But it also depends upon you believing in the man that was sent by Yahweh, Yeshua the Messiah, the Son of Yahweh. You will not be saved if you don't truly believe that Yahweh has a son. I'm pleading with you right now to repent and believe in the Son if you don't already. Stop trying to make the scriptures say something that they clearly do not say. Friends, Yahweh loved the world in this way. He really gave us His only begotten Son. And everyone who believes in this Son will not perish, but have everlasting life. Yahweh wants you to believe in His Son, and if you don't, the wrath of Yahweh remains on you, according to John 3.36. This is not a game. This is serious. This is not something to argue about. This is something to believe in. I'm not taking my time here on this radio station to just put out a bunch of smoke and mirrors. I'm not after your money. I'm just a common man who loves the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And I want to see Israel believe in the Son. Just like Peter in Acts 2. I want to see Israel believe that Yeshua is the man that Yahweh appointed. I want to see Israel believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I'm not interested in fame and fortune. I'm not looking for huge crowds to follow me in my ministry. And anyhow, this is not my ministry. This is Almighty Yahweh's ministry and His message. He's the Creator. He's the one who's given me the ability to be able to speak this message of truth to you tonight. Oh, please, people, recognize that you just might be deceived. And listen, don't allow your emotions to get in the way here. Sometimes people tell me things like this. So you're telling me my parents or grandparents or great-grandparents weren't saved because they didn't believe like you? I'm not saying that at all. Yahweh will judge them according to the knowledge that they had, and according to what they truly and honestly believed in their heart and in their mind. And I'm not here to condemn your dead loved ones who didn't explain the Father and the Son exactly like me. That's not my calling. I don't even believe you have to explain all the details exactly right to be saved. But I do believe you really have to believe that Yeshua is Yahweh's Son to be saved. And please don't get upset with me for saying that, because I'm just quoting the Bible. I'm just quoting John 3.16. You must believe in the only begotten Son that God gave us. You know, sometimes I run across people who will tell me they are Trinitarian or oneness, but after I explain to them what I believe, they say something like this, well, that's actually what I believe. I think that some people in their heart really believe in the one God and His Son as being separate beings. But because somebody has told them about a three-person God, or one God and three manifestations, they just go with the flow. The whole time, deep down inside, when they pray, they pray to the Father through the Son. They address their prayers to God in the name of Jesus. And while the Father's name is not God, and the Son's name is not Jesus, they are still seeking to pray to the one God of the Bible through His only begotten Son. And don't we know that Father's are not their own sons, and sons are not their own fathers. You know, people always want to use illustrations to explain what they believe about God. Some Trinitarians, not all of them, but some have told me to look at an egg. 
An egg is one egg but has three parts, they say, a shell, a white, and a yolk. I've had oneness believers tell me to look at how water forms into different manifestations, liquid, gas, and vapor. I don't understand why we can't use the illustration of the Bible. A father and a son. And this is obviously the way that Scripture explains Yahweh and Yeshua's relationship. Yeshua calls Yahweh Father more than any other title. And Yahweh plainly says about Yeshua, This is my son. So in Scripture, we don't read about the three parts of an egg or how water takes on different pro- or how water takes on different properties. We read about a father that has a son. Sometimes oneness believers will explain to me, Matthew, you don't understand. I'm a father, but I'm also a son, a husband, a doctor, a nephew, etc. And I don't really have a problem with what they're saying, because I myself am a father, because I have five children, and I'm also a son of my father, my children's grandfather. But you know what? I'm not my own father, am I? No, of course not, and neither is my father me. A son cannot be his own father And a father cannot be his own son. Yahweh's not playing mind games with us, brothers and sisters, when he tells us Yeshua is his son. And when Yeshua calls Yahweh his God and Father, it's not meant to be a trick to throw us off of the real truth that he really is the Father. No, Yahweh gives us the terminology, the language of Father and Son in Scripture. This is given to help us understand somewhat of the relationship between Yahweh and Yeshua. And I'm not saying that we can understand it all. But the terms Father and Son help us understand. They teach us that Yahweh and Yeshua are separate beings. They are not one and the same person. You've been listening to the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. Our website is ministersnewcovenant.org. That's ministersnewcovenant.org. Please visit our website where you will find hundreds of audio sermons as well as videos, books, and articles explaining various doctrines in the scriptural faith. For questions, you can also call 678-347-6240. That's 678-347-6240. Thanks for listening, and according to His will, may Yahweh richly bless.